Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 632. Science Faction, Neanderthals and Opiates. Some pretty damn cool Neanderthals, you ask me. Like, uh, like they could do jazz. You know, um... Eh. I'm, listen, I'm not, I'm not here glorifying opiates, you know, but I will say, real artists use opiates. So, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying opiates are for everybody, but if you're an artist and you want to take your career to the next level, opiates. Yeah, and as you know, Neanderthals being the... They, they were good cave artists. I mean, I think we, we most of the stuff we have seems to be, you know, homo sapien made. There's at least some that's definitely Neanderthal art with some stalagmites and stuff in caves and places. So maybe maybe the reason we have that preserved 100,000-year-old art is because they were getting into some poppies early on. Yeah, okay. This, is, this was like an enclave, a, a commune of Neanderthal artists. And uh, they, all they did was, like, do some cave painting. And, and to be fair... Opiates are not the creative drug. I think a lot of artists think they are. I, 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 sure. If I, if, I, if you Google Chinese opium dead, which I'm sure is a very valid reference today, uh, there aren't a lot of people, you know, uh, knocking out reps of their favorite uh, poem or something. Oh, and speaking of your favorite poem, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. With me, as always, my comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how you doing? My favorite poem is Dig Old Bix. Know what I'm talking about, Bobby? <laughs> Dig Old Bix. <laughs> You see, Bobby, what I did was I substituted the D and the B at yes. their respective words. And let's start thinking of uh, poetry that we could put in for for like bros, like poetry. Uh, that's it, poetry for bros. <laughs> Where the sidewalk ends is this sweet new lifted truck. <laughs> Where the HOV lane ends, pussy. <laughs> Roses are red, my balls are blue. Why aren't you putting out so I could get rid of this goo? <laughs> that is very much Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> Come on, baby. I got this truck lifted for you. Check check your inbox. There's a picture of me shooting goo. There we go. It's the same goo thing. <laughs> but I think it's modernized to involve a DM. And a lifted truck. By the way, I love now that that it's becoming so common that I mean, we all know. I mean, like, like you know, if if all of a sudden tomorrow we died in a in a tragic podcasting accident, sure. And both of our wives uh, had to hit the open market. What are the odds they'd be with a good old conservative guy? Like, like our wives would be through with our soy boy science sure. podcast and masses. I just love how uh, that women in general are trending away from these strong alpha men, which means that eventually they're going to have se have to have sex with themselves. And I think there's a lot of comedy inherently in that situation. Uh, dear, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is science articles. That does bring up a good point, Bobby. What if, you know, like, like um, they do remarry, but now there's a conservative Bobby and conservative Damien, and they also Ooh. do a podcast. Wow. Okay, so they do, uh, like, a conservative science podcast? Uh, a conservative science podcast? Believe it. Listen, we, we make the end numbers fit our beliefs, okay? 
You come here for N numbers and N words. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's our slogan, and apparently we got canceled for it. Oh. <laughs> We have real country scientist Alex Jones again on the podcast today. Yeah, the biggest our liberal friends could pull was Dr. Troy. Oh, dear. Article number one, the latest on Neanderthals. If Dr. Troy is so smart, how come he's not a billion dollars in debt? (laughs) All right. So there's actually two very interesting articles that came out this week about the lifestyles of Neanderthals, which are very, very interesting to me. So let's start off. Crushing pussy all day. Yeah, kinda. I mean, At gas, grass, and ass. That's the Neanderthal yes. lifestyle. So we're talking about poetry. That's a poem from back in the yes. day. Except with Neanderthals, it was literal grass. Gas was the farting, and the ass was the same. Ass was the same for sure. <laughs> Why did you give me grass, uh, Grug? I do not understand. <laughs> we do not have animals from which to graze on this yet. Uh, dear. Um, so we talked about Neanderthals a bunch. We've known about them for well over 100 years. One of the, the first actual physical representation of a non-sapien uh, hominid found found during Darwin's time, but he never knew about it. He didn't find out about it. That was down on Gibraltar. We know they, they range from Gibraltar all the way to about Central Asia throughout the Old World. And then from about Central Asia East was their cousin species, the Denisovans, also known as the Denny Bears. And so these two different groups, which are both kind of cousin species of us, you can think Think of us as second cousins to the Neanderthals and Denisovans, and they are cousins to one another. This bigger group that was kind of ancestral to Eurasia that our species then encountered when it went in there and mated with, we know that, we know we carry both Denisovan and Neanderthal DNA, depending on where your origins are, your areas of ancestry, you will have uh, more or less of one or, or the other of those. But we carry those with us because our species interbred with them. So that's kind of like a Neanderthal in a nutshell. Great book, by the way. Or new Kinder Candy. Kinder Candy. Yeah, I, I, I was about to say Neanderthal in a nutshell. That sounds like cannibalism became really big in a in a future. Like Soylent Green became really big. Yes. Like so much so that we were like reviving ancient cousin species to eat, just just Ooh. for like just to mix it up. The wealthy yeah. could eat a Neanderthal, but you. That's right. When you when you wanted like that exotic meat as in the cannibal world, you would clone a Neanderthal just to eat it. Which, by the way, uh, I was thinking uh, there was this movie. I don't, I don't even remember, but I, I saw the trailer, and the premise was that somebody created a Neanderthal child, and it was raised in uh, in a modern home, and it, it tracks its life. Sure. I, don't, I don't know if it's a good or bad story. I, I don't know, but or if it's sure. a good movie. Uh, but uh, I was thinking, you know, how we've talked on the show that just by virtue of being Samoan, you have like a what a forty five times greater chance yes. of being in the NFL. Yeah. By virtue of being born uh, a Neanderthal, what yeah. what natural advantages towards the sports world would I have? Now, I wanted to, to knock out basketball, but I've seen Teen Wolf, and that guy seemed to have similar dimensions to the Neanderthal. And I'm was... gonna say, yeah, I'm gonna say basketball is not your not your sport because you are much shorter. Well, not much. You're shorter and stockier. You're less likely to throw some sweet dunks out there. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to go basketball, uh, definitely not your sport. Uh, would you just stick to anything combat? Like, re- I mean, wrestling, that's an easy one. Wrestling would definitely be a good one. Get them out there, get a, one of them training with Khabib, make an unstoppable, very boring yeah. fighter. But Yeah, and I don't, I don't know why, but I'm leaning towards curling. 
I don't know why, but I feel. <laughs> but not not the pushing, the brushing of the broom. Yes, not yeah, the yeah, rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They just I don't know. They're ice people. I don't. I think they get it. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I'm sorry, bro. I uh, was a pretty dumb Neanderthal. I thought you meant curling, so I just got really into the gym. I don't regret it because look at these look at these biceps. But like, yeah, I'm, I don't know that it's actually an event. So the first of these articles talks about an ancient genetic study that was done on Neanderthals from a cave in Central Asia around Siberia around 60,000 years ago. And they were actually able to tell the makeup of this particular family. It, uh, so they, rouge, they found a little light foundation. <laughs> Some mascara. Yeah, so they, they found 13 individuals across two caves that they were able to do ancient DNA studies on. And some of these, these were obviously related individuals in the same family group. And they found that the mitochondrial DNA typically inherited from the mother displayed greater diversity than the DNA of the Y chromosome, which is inherited by the males. And that suggests that the way this society worked is that there were groups of about 20 family members that were patrilineal descent. You came through the male line. You would be in that small group and move around. Remember, you can't have two bigger groups at this time uh, because you are trying, at least in these in a lot of environments, because there is not a lot of food resources. So anywhere you go, you essentially deplete all the hunting, gathering food resources. You move on to a new place and you can't stay too long. You can stay less and less time the more and more people you have. So these were small groups of around 20 people. And what we can tell from the genetics is that females migrated to a new group and then took their spot among this new male patrilineal group and became the mother and then the, the you know, the wife, the mother, blah, 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 blah. And then when those daughters would grow up, they would go off to a different patrilineal group and become, so basically some, in some uh, human societies, males make this transition. We see this a lot in, oh, in some animals too. Think of like elephants where it's matrilineal and then groups of, you know, single males roam around until they, till they can, you know, start their own herd or join their own herd. In, in this case, it's, it's the female that's moving from place to place. And that's pretty interesting. It tells us a lot about at least the very specific Siberian Neanderthal family we see here, obviously in a group that lasted for hundreds of thousands of years and spanned two continents. There's probably a, a diversity of, of different uh, family group and types but keep in mind one interesting thing about neanderthals they had incredibly small populations like teeny tiny populations there are some researchers who think neanderthal populations on earth never tap never topped more than like 15 or 20 thousand individuals at any point ever which is crazy like that's the amount of people in a small town now <laughs> and they were spanning two continents so you know if you think of what you have to do you have to have like really organized systems of moving people around in order to keep genetic diversity and keep that population going when you have so few people you can't just walk two feet and find the nearest person to mate with uh because if they're too genetically related to you which based on the light dispersal of people they probably are you're gonna have a lot of inbreeding and genetic issues you have to kind of go further away you have to have some kind of cultural norm of going further away and it turns out in this case it looks like the females were the ones who did that so i mean were they just uh not great hunters like um no they were in fact they they were almost in some groups as we're going to talk about in the next article exclusively hunters no, but I mean, like, were they just not that efficient when compared to Homo sapiens? Because I feel like, like they're living uh, through an ice age. They're living through an ice age. Remember, Homo sapiens don't start coming out there until the ice age is waning, and they don't become successful until the end of the ice age. At which point, the Neanderthals happen to have already gone extinct because humans were there. Homo sapiens were there, but they're living in really hard times, cold climates, not a lot of food, not a lot of resources, and they do not have the same advanced technology that we have. We don't think they necessarily had the same type of sewed clothing. 
thing, which helps you to survive better in, in cold environments. They don't have the same type of tool technology, the same lithic technology. They later kind of adapt some of ours, but not nearly as advanced. So there are a lot of little things. There's even an idea that, remember we've talked before, Neanderthals had a bigger brain than us. They had a bigger skull than us. And there's an idea that because of this bigger skull, they would have an X percentage higher eternal mortality during birth, meaning X percentage more mothers would die giving birth because of the slightly bigger head. And just that percentage decrease alone could lead to them being outcompeted by Homo sapiens. And sure enough, once Homo sapiens gets there with their sewed clothing and all our shit, we fucking kick ass and they, they go extinct fairly quickly. See, I, I, had, I had always thought that the Neanderthal had like that bow-legged walk because of uh, their bone-to-muscle ratio and just how traumatic their life was. But to find out it's actually due to hard, large heads and childbirth is... No, no well, the, <laughs> there is some bow-leggedness to some Neanderthal skeletons. We actually think most of that is arthritic and not, not like a natural uh, thing to their, their things. But yes, yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. It's not, well, just, it's not I, due to rickets because they were in the Ice yeah. Age without no sun? Yeah. Yes, there's certainly some of that. Now, this article was uh, touted as like the first ever genetic analysis of a Neanderthal family, which is not exactly true. We have talked about on this show before about a very, very interesting find in the Denisovan cave in Siberia that is a first generation hybrid, 50% Neanderthal, 50% Denisovan. The mom was a Neanderthal, the dad was a Denny bear. And in this case, we clearly see a Neanderthal family or, you know, inner family thing going on here. And we do have some genetic stuff. That's even older. So, the headlines that say, you know, first ever Neanderthal family structure found by ancient DNA, not 100% true, but still very, very, very interesting. All right, the second article, which was also very interesting, had to do with Neanderthals' diets, specifically those of some Neanderthals that are found in Spain. So again, we're almost on the other side of the world here. Think of Spain to Siberia. It was an early proto-paella. <laughs> they weren't a great fishing people at this point, so I don't know no. that you could call it a traditional paella. No, 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 no. <laughs> Very landlocked, these Neanderthals. Well, what was interesting, so they did, they looked at the kind of buildup on teeth, which is one way we can kind of tell where people come from, the isotope analysis of stuff that's that's in your teeth that hardens there. We've used this before to tell that like certain victims of Peruvian sacrifice came from, you know, hundreds of miles away, or these people that ended up here, they started their life in a different area. It's it's really interesting. You can tell by the isotope ratios built up on the, on the teeth, kind of where those people came from and, and stuff like that, and what they ate. And one of the interesting things is this particular Neanderthal in Spain showed evidence of being essentially completely uh, a complete carnivore. There was basically nothing other than meat uh, in terms of isotopes on their teeth. At least, you know, if they were eating non-meat stuff, it wasn't enough to actually preserve or, or become a big part of the isotope ratio of their teeth. So really, really interesting. The results showed that the Neanderthal to whom this tooth belonged was probably a carnivore who did not consume the blood of their prey, meaning they only ate the meat cooked or not. Sounds like a real alpha Neanderthal. You know what I'm talking about? They also ate the bone marrow, but not like the bone part itself. Very, very interesting because here's what's interesting. You might go, oh, this says Neanderthals are carnivores. We have other research from the same place, the Iberian Peninsula, of other Neanderthals that shows they're omnivoristic. They're hunting and gathering. Now, keep in mind, it's that not like That sounds like a real just... alpha fee Neanderthal. That's a little sorority <laughs> joke for those of you who are in the Greek system. <laughs> 
the so this is really interesting because it shows you know and who knows about time separation and cultural separation and whatnot but again small populations so these individuals are not necessarily so distinct that they're genetically isolated from one another if they're temporal but but just think about what that means is you have this wide variety from you know hunter gatherer who's going out and having a, a huge percentage of their diet be uh be plants and whatnot and then some that are basically straight carnivores and you know where else we see this Homo sapiens, you know, you have the people of the Northern Arctic who are basically carnivores and pescatarians and however you want to define that. They're eating fish and meat and stuff like that and not very many plants. And then you have people in India who have, you know, are complete obligate vegetarians and everything in between. They, they like chicken. They, that, that's, I mean, they, they, they give cows a pass. I mean, there are, it's, it's like a All Indian people are a Bobby. Every single Indian person, all one billion of them are the same. Uh, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be the clip that gets us canceled, really? Out of all the yeah. things I've said, that's the one? Uh, very, very interesting stuff. I always love seeing like little glimpses. I like it when the research actually shows us glimpses into like everyday lives and stuff of, of uh, individuals living back then. This miniature teen wolf skeleton played a lot of basketball. No, no, uh, really question, real question, right? You said they could tell a lot by the teeth. Bobby, you're a uh, future archaeologist, maybe a thousand years from now. You're digging yeah. someplace in Ohio. Uh, you come upon a perfectly preserved truck with the uh, skeleton of a man almost in the position that he's still ranting uh, at the time of his death. Uh, what would you discover from his teeth, that he enjoyed a lot of amphetamines in his diet? I can tell that th that his diet was 70% nacho cheese. <laughs> I can actually see the skull still on his lip. It's fossilized. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen this before. This is uh, this clear marking here around the interior dentition. There's only one thing that causes this. Excessive Baja Blast. <laughs> is it kind of like, uh, you know, like every human being born after, you know, the atomic age has like this radioisotope yes. in it? Every yes. human being born after the age of Baja Blast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they have a little bit of juice, juice based energy. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. It's like HPV. It doesn't matter if you've had any Baja Blast. If you've ever had sexual partners who, with somebody who's had Baja Blast. Then you have literally done the do. <laughs> <laughs> you're not just drinking that Baja Blast. You're drinking from every pretty who's had that Baja Blast before. <laughs> Honestly, I've never had Baja Blast. I know, like, I know, like, it's we kind of use it as like the substitute for like how far we've fallen as a people. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I, as a kid, I'm drinking some Mountain Dew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Who hasn't? Sometimes uh, you're in an undercover situation, and the biker you're with makes you makes you take a shot of a Mountain Dew to prove you're not a cop. <laughs> I fell in with the World of Warcraft crew. Okay, everybody was doing it. What, am I supposed to be the gamer who's not on Baja Blast, Bobby? It's a competitive edge. Oh, dear. Article number two. Pain relief without addiction. I know. All right, okay. I don't know exactly where this. We've covered a few things from cone snail venom. To a few other things, uh, but I wanted to break this down. I don't now, Bobby. Feel free to jump in with your story because I don't want to outdo sure. here. Yeah. But um, hell froze over today, Bobby, uh, or th this week. My older grandma, who you have also who have, who have you have met on a few occasions when she's yep. not mad, and you have come away with the impression 
that just because of her demeanor, she is an extremely angry person, specifically at you. Well, I first of all, I challenge she was not mad. I, like, there does seem to be a perpetual anger that is yeah. going on there. Yeah, she is, but like, she is in so much pain. Uh, she has like, uh, like she's getting her shoulders replaced. She's just old and, you know, sure. bone against bone. And uh, she was before somebody thinks I'm an asshole. It's not like I met her last year and she was had a grimace on her face and I'm like that bitch. I met her in 1998 and she had that grimace. No, no, no! Don't don't think I'm shitting on my grandmother. I love my grandmother, but let's sure. uh, you know there, there's a reason I am the way I am, and she is one part of that <laughs> equation. Okay, so like like uh, like she is she is. I wish I had a doting, loving grandmother that you see in movies. Right. And right, not, and not like Arlie Ermie mixed with a grandmother. So, <laughs> I wish that was the case, but anyhow, uh, she is in such pain. Such uh -huh. you know uh, is is uh, her sure. husband died recently. Um, R.I.P. Ta. I actually like brought this up to her because I saw so much she was pain. I was like, listen, Nana, I I don't. I am saying this knowing how much how scary it is, but I'm going to suggest to my ultra authoritarian strict ass grandmother that I'd be willing to get you some THC. They would help with the pain. I brought up a bunch of stories about, uh, sure. about a family member of yours. Yeah, yeah. I brought up stories about how, uh, how in States where they uh, legalize marijuana, opiate addiction drops exponential or drops by a significant amount. But anyhow, she called me the other day. Cause she was like, I know that she was basically at the point of, well, do I kill myself or do I do pot? Like that yeah. was, that was the, that like she was in that much pain. But anyhow, I uh, brought some edibles over to my grandmother and whereas opiates didn't work, uh, she was actually, uh, by the end of the conversation, she was a little giggly and was, uh, was moving nice. around off five milligrams. And uh, oh, to anybody awesome. out there, if you have a stubborn ass old person and you want them to kind of grow and deal with their pain management, you know what? Don't even go through what I did. Just slip them the pot, Jimmy them. By the way, I do like the idea that you're like, she had to choose between like dying and pot. And then in my mind, I, I think of a super hard line version of McGruff, the crime dog who just like, <laughs> he, he hands her a 45 and he goes, eat the bullet, be the better person. <laughs> <laughs> to let the shame follow you. <laughs> yeah, but, but, you could die once, but you'll, you'll piss off Jesus every time you smoke weed. <laughs> no, but that's, that's the, that's the mental state. My grandmother would have to uh. be in order for her to try pot. Like that is like like well, do I just shoot myself now or do I give this a shot? Uh, let's call Damien. Can we can we make a series of infomercials with Hardline McGruff like taking unpopular stances about small time crimes? Like it's him driving a car and then somebody is jaywalking in front of him and he speeds up to hit him. Bitch <laughs> shouldn't have been in the road. <laughs> That's why we say look both ways. Yeah, I once had a, that is the only solution. I've gotten a jaywalking ticket before and and there was nobody on the road and the cop was like, "Well, clearly you don't care about your life." Like I didn't look both ways, make an informed decision about traffic as right. if I've never jaywalked before. And I'm thinking like, are, "Is that what you do? Do you live life like a McGruff like looking to catch people like like yeah, I pretend that my car is parked until somebody jaywalks. Then it comes to life like Christine and fucking runs them over." I have also been caught in a jaywalking sting, which is hilarious. I, how is it that two human beings can get caught in, like, vice-level jaywalking stings? Because we live in fucking San Diego, and uh, we continually increase our police budget, and as crime goes down, they have to figure out something to do. So they're, so for a, a couple of years, the San Diego police was trying to convince everybody that they were right and that jaywalking was really deadly, and they just decriminalized jaywalking now. Yeah. I would love to go to every one of those cops' house and be like, were you the good guy? Were you the good guy? 
guy here? Now, I, I know you're a cop, so like you don't have the skills to really process this, but let's at least plant the seed. Were you the good guy here? Now, I'm going to go ahead and say caveat here. If you do jaywalk and you even cause somebody to have to slow down their car on the way, you're a fucking asshole. True. I, I, if you are jaywalking and there's nobody in the street, fuck off. That's fine. You have no harm, no foul. If you even cause a three-ton vehicle to have to hit the brakes because your lazy ass had to cross at that exact second, not if you're in the crosswalk, but if you, you just decided to cross the street there, fuck you. Yeah, you better be Jay jogging, which I'm okay yes. with. Like, listen, like, <laughs> like, like, if you, if you I, I want some Jay hustle on this. But yeah, the, the <laughs> Jay hustle, the Jewish instead of Jay Day, the Jewish athletics uh, scouting site. Uh, Jay hustle. Um, but no, I mean, if you, yeah, if, if you're the person, if you're like, because we all know that monster who will jaywalk, which I don't have the problem yes. with, but then we'll like slowly saunter across the street. Yes. I'm like, you're the monster. No. You're the no. monster. No, that's why I'm putting a, a bull bar on my car and having a flip over license plate because those motherfuckers are getting hit. Now, if McGruff, the extreme crime dog, took out those people, I don't see the problem. I don't see the problem. Uh, so this is a really interesting story about a new class of pain relievers that do not cause euphoria or addiction. We've talked a little bit about these before as they're starting to be discovered, but they're getting more and more popular in terms of research. And so in, in my case, I am super interested in these. So these new substances activate adrenaline receptors instead of opioid receptors and have similar pain relieving effects to opiates, but without the negative aspects such as respiratory depression and addiction. Now, this is not on its surface crazy because not all painkillers have those opiate effects we're used to. I mean, think about it. Aspirin, Tylenol, Motrin, they're just not strong enough for the bigger stuff. So what we're saying is we have found a route for painkillers to work that has the same impact, the same effect of painkillers that opiates has, but does not have the depression of the sympathetic system, does not have the depression of breathing and, and heart rate, and and also doesn't kill you, basically. It, it also doesn't have the potential for addiction because it's not activating those opiate receptors. So how does this drug work? Under the Jesse Ventura, I ain't got time to bleed. Uh, like <laughs> I'm, I'm so full of adrenaline right now, I ain't got time to deal with this uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, so this particular chemical binds to the alpha-2A adrenergic receptor, and there's already some drugs that target that receptor. However, those drugs have strong sedative effects, and what they were able to do is find out that, oh, actually, this receptor, we are able to create a compound that activates the receptor on the central nervous system without hitting the sed sedative effects. And they did it in a really interesting way. They looked at a virtual library of more than 300 million different and easily accessible molecules and looked for ones that matched the receptor that would known that was known to, to bind and cause the, the nervous system stuff, but was different enough that it wouldn't that, that was known to cause the pain relief, but was different enough that it looked like it would not cause the central nervous system depression. And after looking at a, a bunch of different virtual simulations of how these would interact, they, they settled on around 50 molecules and then tested a whole bunch of them. And two of those 50 fulfilled those criteria of eliminating a massive amount of pain in mouse models without having a sedative or addictive effect, which is amazing. So this goes from scientific ideas Idea, huge AI computer simulation looking at all these different possible molecules and then at another huge simulation looking at which of those molecules could bind to which things and then finally producing 50 of those testing them and finding out that 48 didn't do shit this is like the prime example of 
different levels of science sieving out different bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff until this one thing, two of these molecules. Remember, they were looking at 300 million different molecules via computer. And in the end, out of those 300 million, two of them turned out to do exactly what we needed. This, one of the reasons I love this story, not only because of the opiate crisis, not only because of all the stuff that's going on, not only because of how important this would be for our society, but this is just such a great example of how science can take this wide range of things we are looking at and saying, we only need this tiny, tiny percentage that will do what we need to do. How do we get there? And this is a great example of fucking getting there. Question, uh, what if uh, in the Terminator franchise, like if we're going behind the scenes, James Cameron uh -huh. is giving us Skynet. And apparently Skynet was actually driven crazy because he was used in a not too different experiment. He was the AI that sorted out from a million compounds down to just 20. And then the mm -hmm. human scientist took all the fucking credit after he did all That's the work. True. And so he said, these humans have got to go. They're just a leech off progress. Mm -hmm. um, how do we know that you haven't with your science reporting of this and not sure. giving this, this AI God it's due? How do we know that you have not doomed to man mankind in a James Cameron okay, because, fashion? Okay. Uh, just in case that is a possibility, there's a non-zero chance that what Damien is saying is true. Right? So I can't, I can't eliminate it. And so just in case, what I'm going to remind the machines is uh, I would be a great ambassador for them in their conquest of humans. I, ha I know all about people. I know where they hide really well. I'm great at hide and seek. So you want to find them, you, you come talk to me. Uh, I have a, I have a wide, wide range of information on Neanderthals and Denisovans in case, you know, we find out that those guys are still running around someplace. We're going to have to take care of them, too. Oh, my God. You'd be Samuel L. Jackson's character from Django Unchained on us, wouldn't you? You would absolutely do that. Except you'd talk in a much more offensive George R. R. Binks accent. Yeah, I'd like to say I'm more like a Senator Palpatine character. <laughs> you mean they brought you back because they had no other fucking ideas on what to do with the fucking series? No, no. If, <laughs> if the dark side of the force is, you know, Skynet coming to me, I am the emperor through which it uses its fantastic and benevolent powers. Remember that I said that, you uh, beautiful AI. You are that uh, Imperial officer choked at the beginning of Star Wars. <laughs> By A.R. Darth Vader. You have overestimated your place in the machine uprising, Bobby. <laughs> oh, dear. Thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Faction 632, where you learned all about the latest information we've discovered about Neanderthals and how we'll soon be able to relieve pain without addiction or danger. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 633. McGruff might be a far right wing fascist law enforcement officer, but let me tell you one thing that doesn't get McGruff's blood boiling. Excusing minor offenses for sexual favors. Wink. You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right.